Hello, and welcome to Legally Consumed, a consumer products podcast by a consumer products law firm in Australia. I'm Raf Goldenberg, and I'm joined by co-hosts Kay Ho and Will McMinn, who are members of the team at CIU Legal. We chat with executives of consumer products companies, their legal teams, and industry experts who give us a peek into their journeys as people. We explore industry-changing ideas and even share tips and tricks on how to navigate the consumer product space. This season, we will feature guests from the automotive, retail, advertising and insights, food, beverage, and primary production and franchising sectors. Hi, I'm Raf Goldenberg. Welcome to today's episode of Legally Consumed. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by Desmond Hang, the CEO of Carba. Thank you, Raf. Thank you for having me here on this uh, show today. Very excited to talk about uh, you know everything to do with mobility and auto. Welcome and great to have you, Des. We're also joined by my co-host Kay Ho. Welcome, Kay. Good to be here. It's great to have you join us. We've um, We've interviewed some people in the in the auto space before, but um, Carbar is really interesting and a very different model. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, but we always like to get to know our guests and a little bit about their journey before what they're doing today. And there's, um, we'll go right back, right mm-hmm. back to the yep. beginning. So your very first job, what was the first job you ever did? Um, I think my very first job was, you know, I've always been playing in uh, in tech, in IT, so doing IT support. So when everyone uh, says, oh, you know, you've studied uh, software engineering, that means that uh, you can fix my computer. So that's pretty much <laughs> what I did. <laughs> right. And so was that during uni that you were doing that? Yeah. Uh, so during uni, uh, also had a stint, uh, yeah, an internship at uh, Nissan as well. So oh. that helped that uh, sort of combine my passion in cars, uh, even early in the days, uh, in uni, um, I was passionate in cars. So. Right. I had a stint at Nissan as well. Um, but I think probably after yours, um, so, um, started doing that, obviously software engineering at uni. Um, what have you done in between now and then, and how did your sort of career evolve to, to Carver? Um, I guess largely, uh, my, my uni experience was, um, doing software engineering and finance. Um, so, uh, I was largely sort of transitioning between tech product marketing and within the financial services space. So, uh, largely within the digital side of things. So combining all that experience, transitioning through from, you know, uh, the likes of, uh, I select trading posts, uh, through to Suncorp. Um, so it has all, all that experience around financial services that kind of led to, uh, where, um, where Carbar was sort of evolved and originated. Um, so combining my passion in cars and what I did and background in, in providing sort of that direct consumer experience. Um, that's where Carbar was born. Yeah. Right. I'll, and I know we're going to ask a little bit more about Carbar, but Tell me a bit about the passion for cars. Uh, yeah, so even uh, early in the uni years, uh, you know, I was very passionate in cars, playing with cars and things like this. Um, so, um, and largely even with my co-founder, 
back in uni days where 70% of our conversation would be revolving around cars. So now it's revolving around karma and with cars. <laughs> yeah, right. So, did you go to a Formula One? Uh, no. Uh, so, well, pretty much uh, tinkering with uh, our run-of-the-mill run sort yeah, of uh, yeah. on-road cars. Yeah, things. cool. Yeah. So tell us about Carver. What is it? Um, how does it work? Yep. Uh, so my passion in cars led us to uh, found Carbar in the sense that we wanted it to be the most progressive and most trustworthy automotive uh, retail brand out there. So uh, in Carbar, we evolved from a virtual dealership uh, model uh, through to uh, offering uh, a subscription-based product in itself. So think of uh, think of our subscription offering as a very locked-in uh, lease uh, that uh, provides full flexibility. Uh, we take care of all uh, the needs of the vehicle so that the consumer themselves don't have to worry. We're providing peace and and confidence to uh, consumers to access the vehicles. Well, how did you um, how did you come up with the idea of Carba? Um, I think it came up. Uh, from the sense that, like I mentioned, um, the experience around delivering a direct-to-consumer uh, digital type product uh, for customers uh, that they can they can access uh, via uh, via online um, uh, channels. Uh, we wanted to be able to retail out um, pretty much vehicles uh, direct-to-consumer to people. Uh, from there, what we found was that the access of a vehicle is uh, highly determined by the price of the vehicle itself. Um, so, you know, when you, uh, when a person wants to purchase a vehicle, uh, everything needs to check the boxes. So if it's a used car, um, you know, the spec of the vehicle, the whether it has a sunroof, what color it has, what, what the interior condition is. So largely people need to sort of touch the metal. Uh, what we found was that we needed to chunk down the, the payments in such a way where it's in bite sizes, right? So make it more accessible. So that's where uh, our subscription offering was born, uh, where uh, if we're offering a vehicle at a capital value of $30,000 and the subscription rate is at $200 per week, it offers them an ability to uh, to uh, slowly get to know the vehicle, but not have the full commitment of that uh, purchase itself. So that's where the evolution of uh, subscription was born and the motivation around that. Mm. So is that the the target customer for the business, the everyday kind of consumer? Yeah, so uh, unlike myself and my co-founder, who are car nuts, um, our everyday customers are sort of uh, your young millennials, young families. Uh, we see them uh, transitioning through cars as well. So oh, yeah. you think of the journey as um, sort of a life journey that they're going through. They get married, maybe they're in a smaller hatch. Uh, they have their first kid. Um, they upgrade to a smaller uh, compact SUV. Uh, second kid, they um, they upgrade to a mid-sized SUV, uh, and so on. Um, so we see them uh, journeying through uh, a few vehicles with us. Um, they do think of the subscription offering as uh, sort of the access to a number the mobility without the headaches, because a lot of them are time poor as well uh, and want the confidence of a fixed set budget against the vehicle. So you kind of go through life with them. Yeah, yeah. essentially, essentially, yeah, you can say that. Yeah, and um, and I think uh, as we are journeying through the uh, through the journey with them, uh, you can see that um, uh, they do want that the ability to know exactly how much they're paying, um, and also have that flexibility in mind 
because pretty much the subscription can be terminated uh, with two weeks notice period. Mm. Yeah. How long? Oh, sorry. Can no, I ask you ask, how long is a typical subscription like? Uh, is there an average time period that someone uses a yeah? So a uh, typical subscription normally goes for about um, sort of twenty-seven uh, to thirty months. Um, so it's trending towards a lease in a way. Yeah, right. Um, so quite long. However, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite long. Uh, however. Uh, they they may go through sort of one and a half to two cars on average across the portfolio itself. Right. Yeah. So okay. uh, that way uh, you can see them sort of uh, in the normal circumstances, uh, what would happen is the person would buy that vehicle. Mm. Uh, they would then have the challenge of maintaining that vehicle. And then also if they wanted to get rid of the car, then go through the whole selling process, whether you sell to the dealer, which is uh, probably marked down a little yeah um, and versus say uh if you were to sell it privately so all mm. these are challenges that you have to go through which the subscription offering uh, doesn't have do they have the option to buy the car yes they do have the option to buy the vehicle um if they if they do want that um in fact for for this calendar year as well uh, we're ramping up uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, we do the whole range of uh, uh services um, as we're broadening across the auto sector side of things. We did start as a uh, as a retail platform. Uh, we do have a retail as well as a wholesale um, to the business. So all this uh, forms basically the business model in terms of how we feed through cars all the way to consumers. Right. And, and do, do you own the cars? Yeah, we own, uh, we own probably about 95% of the vehicles. Um, so as you can imagine, it's, uh, quite capital intensive in, right. that, in mm. that instance. Who owns the other 5%? Uh, we work with partners, uh, corporate partners that have, uh, idle fleets. Um, if they, if they want to get the vehicles out as well, uh, then we work with them as well in you know, both short, medium and long-term basis. Uh, well, it's interesting. What makes Carba's offering different to that traditional lease kind of arranged for a long-term hire because you mentioned the average length is quite actually long. I expected much shorter, you know, you can chop and change the cars whenever you want. Yeah. So what makes this different? Uh, so, uh, maybe we'll take it from short to longer term. Um, so on the shorter end of the spectrum, uh, you'll see the higher car companies, the car rentals, your Hertz and things like this. Um, so, uh, those, uh, we differentiate against them, um, based on the sort of what we term as a user chooser type uh, scenario. So what happens is if you jump on our site, we have probably uh, close to uh, a few hundred vehicles that's, uh, made as choice and selection for, for customers. So really these are vehicles that we partner with our dealer partners to offer, uh, for subscription. So what happens is, uh, say RAF wants, uh, uh, BMW 3 Series that's featured by uh, one of our dealer partners, we would actually, um, and, and he subscribes for that, uh, we'll actually purchase that vehicle from our dealer partner and then run it through our subscription program. Uh, in that instance, uh, Raf is not um, stuck driving a Toyota, white Toyota Camry, which is mm-hmm. a sort of what a car rental company may have as a part of their fleet. So it is more of a heterogeneous fleet rather than a homogeneous Yeah, fleet. yeah. On the other side of the spectrum, a lease is sort of a financial commitment um, for uh, for the individual. So that way, there's a full recourse back to the individual itself. So you are actually taking out a sort of a finance uh, financing facility against the vehicle. Um, so it, it's 
not really flexible in that instance. Uh, you'll probably have to break the lease. There's early terminations uh, that you have to pay for. Um, our subscription product is vastly different from that uh, because you're paying, the concept of that is you're paying for a weekly rate to access that vehicle. Um, so when you're done with that, you just, like I mentioned, you give us a two weeks notice period um, and then just hand back that vehicle so there's no more additional on charges or any any hidden fees against that. Sounds pretty compelling. I'm interested in how um, the business has sort of evolved because, you know, I'm sure it didn't start with 300 cars in the fleet. Um, and tell us a bit about the journey. Like, how many were you when you started? Where are you now? A bit of the history so our listeners can, can hear a little bit about uh, how you got to where you are. Yeah. Uh, so I think it has been uh, quite a journey. Uh, so I founded the business in 2016. Uh, our first warehouse was sort of um, shared with our mechanic uh, partner uh, out in um, uh, Coburg. Uh, we rented a, a space, a warehouse, a derelict, a derelict warehouse <laughs> that uh, had a dilapidated roof with rain coming in. Obviously, uh, being cars with a uh, roof on them, uh, that didn't really matter. So we could store uh, 20 plus cars for a thousand bucks per month, wow. which was a good value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that really, uh, sort of kickstarted the, the, the ability for us to conceptualize what, uh, we wanted to land or we didn't, I guess we, uh, we had a, uh, we had a overarching vision that we wanted to get to, but it was testing, uh, the product and making sure that it, it has that product market fit, uh, with, uh, with the segment that we are targeting. So. Um, fast forward to today, you know, we went through, um, a few accelerator programs where it helped us to form the launch pad for us, essentially to get the word out there, to cut through in media, to, um, really differentiate ourselves. I think in the, in the car space, you know, you've got, um, giants like car sales on, uh -huh. on the side of, uh, classifieds, marketing and things like this. Um, uh, and then you've got large dealer groups. So how do we create a segment? and play in a patch of uh, film that uh, really allows us to differentiate and really uh, provide an offering that's compelling for, for customers. Yeah, right. And so when you started, was it just you and your co-founder? or And then yeah. what are we talking now, like of you? Uh, so it was largely uh, myself and a couple of our co-founders. Yeah. Um, we were... Uh, we were also testing, taking photos um, of the of the vehicles. Uh, we didn't really have a nice wall to take it on, so borrow it to one someone else's wall. <laughs> yeah, got pulled off because of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, things progress from there. Uh, then uh, uh, we uh, we got a uh, our first warehouse um, down in Port Melbourne, uh, and then uh, that gave rise to sort of increasing stock in that way. Uh, we got on a few of our angel investors as well, uh, that really, uh, helped us to open up, uh, networks and, and I think our key early advisors really helped us to steer the direction of the business to give us uh, an informed view of, um, how, uh, how we can progress, how we can develop the model from there as well. Uh, so fast forward to today, we're across, um, the Eastern seaboard of Australia, uh, back in 2019, uh, IG. Uh, invested in the business um, so that really gave us the capital and the backing and the credibility to really grow the brand uh, yeah. really grow the the penetration of what we did um, yeah. so that was just before COVID um, yeah. and then COVID hit um, and I think we had a we had a conscious decision point 
just before COVID where we uh, we could either go into direct to consumer or B2B side of things with our uh, subscription product. So our headline product is car subscription at that point in time. Uh, we did have uh, retail trading as well as wholesale trading of the vehicles uh, at the back of this. And these are essential services that um, allows us to efficiently dispose of vehicles. So without the efficient means to dispose of vehicles, then the subscription rate becomes uh, uh, much more expensive. So mm. our ability to efficiently dispose of vehicles caps off the depreciation rate on that, right, mm. on that offering itself. So is that sort of um, having partnerships or arrangements with dealers who are going to sort of buy it or others who are going to buy the stock once no, a particular uh, point? No, all, all disposal is done uh, in-house uh, okay. at the moment. Um, so uh, our own retail uh, trading arms is able to dispose of them yeah, as well. Okay. So you sell them direct. Yeah, yeah we sell them yeah. direct as well. So that's probably uh, a part of the business that uh, a lot of our customers don't really know. Yeah. Uh, and that was a conscious thing. Before that, we 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 had um, all the services on the site itself. But going into COVID, we decided to say, hey, let's focus on an area that creates that differentiation. So then our objective was to to make Carbon uh, number one in subscription so that it's known for, for that. Yep. Firstly, uh, we managed to successfully do that. Um, and uh, it was a direct-to-consumer play, which then uh, we would circle back to uh, B2B side of things to offer uh, all services back to the corporate fleets and things. Right. Um, so fast forward to today, we we, uh, we successfully done that. Um, for, this, uh, for this year going forward, uh, we're broadening our uh, range of services. Um, right. So um, in one part, we're growing our our trading divisions, um, so both on retail as well as wholesale. So, um, in uh, on, and on top of the subscription offering that we yeah, have. Right. And how is how have the car companies reacted to Carbar? Because I, I can imagine like they're modelled on consumers dumping a whole lot of cash down and buying a car, and seeing a subscription model where someone can kind of buy a pretty pretty new, pretty nice car without much of a commitment, without much of a big um, outlay. Do they see you guys as a threat or how's, how is that all playing out? No, I think um, uh, we play pretty well with our uh, corporate partners uh, alongside the manufacturers as well. So, uh, you know, early in the uh, in the piece, we did work very closely with uh, Jaguar Land Rover where uh, we offered a bunch of um, uh, Jaguar F Paces uh, mm-hmm. uh, on subscription alongside with them. Uh, and that really worked well, especially with manufacturers where uh, if they have uh, problems in terms of moving a certain set of vehicles, yeah. um, a subscription offering can help them to move uh, uh, a bunch of vehicles without them actually having to explicitly drop the price in market, oh. which then affects their new car pricing or uh, subsequently affects the use side of things for them. So were these were these new vehicles? Yeah, these were so brand new vehicles, right. so brand new cars, and presumably, if they're not being sold, they're sitting on the dealer's floor plan. Mm. Um, they got a you know, there's pressure on the dealer to finance them, and this gives them some sort of a revenue stream, does it? To and, and you guys participate in that. Is that how exactly? It yeah, yeah. We provide that. Um, you know, end-to-end service for them. Yeah. Um, so, 
uh, we do work alongside their uh, their dealer network as well for yeah. uh, sort of pickup and deliveries and servicing if needed as well. Um, so that's something that we work closely with the uh, with the corporate partners as well as the OEMs. It's fascinating. So um, it's, I mean, it's just such a big change to the way that people have consumed cars um, in Australia. So I mean, just on that, what are your sort of observations about? Um, consumers' behaviour in in the auto space today, maybe even versus when you started Carbar. I think uh, generally these days um, there's a lot of talk around uh, EVs. Yeah, progressively Mm -hmm. over the number of years, I think we are beginning to see that uh, the EV penetration rate is um, uh, lifting. Uh, I think in part also because of the contribution back from the government. Um, So the amount of incentives that a government uh, 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 provides back to the public markets will determine the rate of adoption. Yeah, um, uh, and you can see that across Europe um, and uh, and US. Uh, but I think uh, our view is that uh, Australia will probably track more closely with the US, given that the auto market is more similar with US mm-hmm. real counterpart, but much bigger market in yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. But do you think people are more open to moving away from, you know, owning their own car? Like, do you, do you guys have any data on that or? Yeah, um, we often do a sort of a YouGov uh, survey uh, run every year. Um, so I think there are more, increasingly there are more people that is looking at uh, how do you fund that vehicle, uh, whether it's through a finance offering, whether it's through a lease, whether it's through a subscription offering, side of things? Because at the end of the day, I think people begin to realize that you never actually own a, a car, yeah. uh, especially if you have a loan against it. Uh, even if uh, even if a person pays with cash, uh, probably the cash is uh, drawn down from their mortgage or yeah. or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think the key understanding is uh, you're actually funding the gap between what you bought it for versus what you're disposing, which is the depreciation. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because I think I have a relative who tried car bar a few years ago because they had just migrated to Australia and they wanted to try different cars before they committed to buying a car. And so that was the subscription model was actually really appealing to them because they could try a bunch of different cars, work out what works for yep. the family and then commit to one so i guess that's the other side of this yeah it's kind of a try before you buy type scenario correct yeah so um i think in one part you know like i mentioned around the ev side of things a lot of people have the sort of the anxiety around range and things Mm -hmm. like this and seeing whether uh, an ev may suit their lifestyle so um often people may um sort of subscribe first before they intend to purchase an ev Uh, so just like what you mentioned around your relative um uh, can I live with a five-seater car or do I need a seven-seater? So then um, they can try the different cars before that. Mm, yeah. I'm actually, I've got a, I'm test driving at Polestar at the moment. Oh, I got it, picked it up on a Friday and I've got it, I think, until tomorrow. And it is, the the, the range thing, it, it's actually, it's incredible how small of an issue it feels like to me. Like, I mean, mm. it's sort of, I mean, I'm doing a lot of city driving, so I'm not putting a lot of kilometres on it. But when, you know, I picked it up on Friday, it said it had 400 k's worth of charge. It's, you know, it's still got 80% of that. You know oh, what I mean? Cool. I haven't yeah. had to plug it in. Um, 
the person I, you know, the person who handed over the car to me has a Polestar. She said that she doesn't have home charging. She doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't feel like she needs it. There's one in town where she lives. She does, you know, or near her work. But it does, yeah, it's a bit of getting used to. Yeah, that's what I would be interested in. I think trying an EV, figuring out the, the infrastructure and the facilities, like are there charging stations where yeah. you need it? Yeah, because you've got to spend a month. I mean, if you are going to have home charging, you're going to spend a couple of grand. To yeah. install it. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be, yeah, you've got to really want to do it. Mm. You'd be committed, yeah. Um, so, I mean, car bars at this great intersection between tech and auto. So what are some of the challenges you're seeing that's facing the, I guess, tech mobility industry? I think probably the, the challenges will be efficiently delivering the the service and the access to the vehicle itself. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, uh, the car is a pretty capital intensive uh, item for or your second largest purchase from mm-hmm. a consumer standpoint. Um, so finding a, an efficient way by which a person can uh, access the vehicle or own that vehicle, um, uh, that will play, especially within the global environment, global economic environment that we're operating in now. So where people are more cost conscious mm. as well. Um, the other side of things will be supply. So uh, no doubt supply is coming through, um, but there are still uh, choke points. Um, you know, there's quarantine issues, there's shipping issues. Uh, used to have chip shortages um, mm. and some of the mm. manufacturers can't actually deliver. Um, so uh, these will play out for consumers as they're, uh, as they're translating through to what would be their next cars, especially within the COVID environment where you saw uh, 2022 through the sort of larger part of 2022, uh, there weren't as many vehicles uh, delivered. So this will play out over the next couple of years as well, um, due to the fact that there will be less used cars coming through uh, mm. through the market itself. So I think uh, inflationary pressures will lift the prices of vehicles. Um, so then that way things are getting more expensive to yeah, I was actually wondering that. Is it with the um, supply issues on new cars and the used car market becoming so expensive, has that affected you in terms of the stock that you're able to get and then, you know, the subscription fees that you're able to charge customers? Presumably they're, they're, all, they're all connected to each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, if a person is intending to subscribe to a car that is uh, $30,000, the subscription rate will be translated out of the capital value of that vehicle. Uh-huh. It just makes sense that way. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe take it back three years, $30,000 could have won, uh, could have gotten you a BMW or something like this. Now hey. perhaps you can only access a Toyota or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is the challenge. Uh, so at the end of it, it really translates through to the end consumer yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So Carbar was Australia's first car subscription business. Mm. I'd be interested to know, like, how do you manage competition with a car leasing and the um, car sales companies? And how do you continue to stay ahead of the curve? I mean, you've introduced new um, aspects to the business over the last couple of years. So how do you continue to kind of stay ahead of the competitors? Uh, Yeah, so... um... 
our business model has been um, or is uh, pretty fluid in regards to what we do. So at the end of the day, is looking at the consumer and the market itself, uh, what uh, what allows us to play and be relevant within uh, the market uh, in this day and age. Uh, so, you know, uh, we found that car subscription was and is able to provide that product market fit for car by itself. Um, so against against larger incumbents, against um, you know our other uh, competitors, um, we often see okay the 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 car space or the auto space is uh, pretty fragmented, pretty big. Uh, so there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of segments, there's a lot of customer segments that we can play in, and that's and that's how we see in regards to growing into a more material player in the market. So with um, there's with the sort of the move towards sustainability and um, you know targets to be carbon neutral and what have you. Um, how have you found that's impacted Carba? Um, are you guys trying to get ahead of the curve, or what are you doing in that space? Yeah, um, so that's always um, on our minds, both in terms of our shareholders. Um, um, you know, IAG, uh, solar farm investors, as well as our board. So uh, there's a key mandate for us to be moving towards the sustainability side of things. Um, so uh, we do have, uh, and what that means is a transition from ICE vehicles across to EVs as well. So we do have um, a corporate pro program uh, that we work very closely with AGL. So AGL's EV subscription is also in, in partnership with us where uh, we're delivering the end-to-end -end services for them as well. So that helps to both increase the awareness as well as increase the penetration of EVs in the market. Uh, we also do uh, work with Aurora Energy down in Tasmania uh, yeah. and them being a fully renewable um, energy provider. Uh, that really uh, plays to our hearts in regards to how we're driving the position of uh, yeah. EVs in the market. So can, you, uh, can you expand a little bit on those programs just for the... Um, so with the AGL, what's, what are they doing? What's their program and how, and how does Carbar yeah. kind of get into it? And also just maybe a little bit about Aurora. Sure. Yeah. Um, so with AGL, um, uh, we provide the end-to-end -end services in the back, uh, in the background, uh, for them. Um, so what happens is, um, uh, they're providing an AGL EV subscription to their customer base and distribution base, uh, where they're coupling that with, uh, and packaging that with their utility. Uh, provision uh, for their customers. So we're enabling the underground deliveries, the procurement of the vehicles and the delivery yeah, of right. some of these vehicles as well. Uh, with Aurora Energy, it works slightly different uh, where they, they form or where we we're sort of uh, enjoy partnership with them. Uh, they become a marketing distribution uh, channel uh, for us yeah. uh, to their customer base. Uh, right, and then after that, uh, we would deliver on on the vehicles again. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so with the so that's that's fascinating. So with AGL, are they in effect now? They're kind of indirectly entering into the auto space, mm. um, using kind of leveraging off their, I guess their green energy program, and they're sort of saying to their customers, "Hey, don't just come to us for energy, come to us for a car." Yeah. And um, and you guys are in the background, sort of helping. Yeah, there. so it's more of a uh, partnership-based program yep. where they're yep. leveraging the, um, um, you know, our capabilities in this space itself. Yep. So you can see even, um, uh, I think they view the home 
um, services side of things uh, as a complete full ecosystem where they're also mm-hmm. offering uh, broadband or yeah um, or mobile services and things. Um, so um, the car is coupled together with the uh, e-mobility side wow. of things and home charging. That's an interesting way to think about it. It's all part of the home. AGLs just take over the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah that's incredible. Um, and then with, and then so with Aurora, if I can understand that, that's um, sort of a similar thing. They have their customers and you guys are... Yeah, so uh, that works a slightly different way. Or they're marketing you to their, custo- Correct, to their yeah. customers. Yeah, so uh, they're marketing us uh, to their customers uh, yep. and promoting uh, the EV subscription side of things. Um, they, their motivation is also uh, in part to push more EVs yeah. into the Tasmanian market, uh, yeah. being that they're fully renewable uh, in that sense. So uh, that's good for uh, all around. Yeah, excellent. So it's that Des, I know you've got um, sort of a background in finance as well as tech. Um, just turning to the business that you operate in, the regulatory environment that you operate in, I know that there's challenges um, um, in the automotive space from a regulatory perspective. But if you, um, if you were the Prime Minister for the day and you could, um, could change one law, um, assuming you had a, you know, a parliament that, that would let you change the law, <laughs> what would it be? What would you change? Uh, yeah, so I had a uh, close think around this as well. Um, I think uh, in terms of what we wanted to do, um, a deregulation of uh, the types of vehicles that you can import into Australia uh, will be uh, mm. will be great, uh, both from a personal standpoint as well as yeah. from, a, from a business, uh, because there's you know there's many cars out there that you can import. Uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, it stands of interest that there's some of these cars I like to uh, play with, uh, yeah. which you can't access in in, in Australia. Uh, but from a company perspective, I think um, it wouldn't. Locally, it wouldn't, uh, would not affect the local manufacturing industry anymore because uh, Australia is no longer manufacturing vehicles. Yeah. Um, so having the ability to open up to increase the supply as well, which will help to fix the supply chain issues. Uh, the other side of things is also giving uh, customers a choice and selection, more choice and selection for yeah. uh, for them and range. Um, obviously, we do need to be careful around how you deregulate that component, ensuring that there's safe road safety. Yeah, and provenance and like all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. so that's probably... <laughs> Excellent. Well, Des, that's been very, very interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been great to have you and thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, we um, will be looking with interest on Car Bar and watching, and watching its growth and success. So thanks again for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Legally Consume, a consumer products podcast by the Consumer Products Law Firm. This was presented by Raf Goldenberg, Ho and Wilma Finn from CIE Legal. Our theme song is by our very own CIE Legal house band, which is comprised of Wilma Finn, Andrew Ma, and Andrew Thompson. This podcast production is in partnership with Social Star.
If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. For more updates and behind-the-scenes footage, head to our Instagram at CIE Legal, all one word. You can also check out our website to listen to a range of episodes and find additional free information at www.cielegal.com.au. To get in contact with CIE Legal about consumer products legal services, reach out to us on info at cielegal.com.au. Thanks again for listening to Legally Consumed and see you all in the next episode.